My name is Tim. I am uh, I'm on staff here and get to teach uh, on Sunday mornings some of the time and uh, really, really enjoy getting to do that with you. Kind of uh, explore different books of the Bible. This summer we're walking our way through the book of Acts. We're calling the series Praxis as we, as we uh, kind of go chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. The, this this uh, story of the early Jesus movement, the early church and Seeing uh, what challenges they face, how Jesus led them, uh, what Jesus did through them, and uh, this morning, what we're going to do is, I wanted to take a, mo- I want to take a little time at the beginning of the morning to uh, take a step back, and uh, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of getting to the mid, well, I don't know, midway point. We're getting far into the book of Acts. I want to take a step back and look at the whole context, kind of what the whole big book is about, to remind ourselves, okay, where are we in the whole book? And then, uh, so I'll take a little time to do that, and then we'll zoom in. We're going to spend some time looking at chapter 11, one particular um, episode out of, out of chapter 11, and then, and then talk a little about what that might mean for, for us here and now. Does that sound good? Good. All right, let me pray, and then we will uh, we'll get going. Uh, uh, Father, Son, Spirit, we, we, do, um, we do come before you and uh, we desire you uh, to meet us this morning. We believe that you, um, these words that we'll read in Scripture, that you inspired them to be written down, um, that you worked through your people, um, that for thousands of years um, they have been passed on so that here we now could read about what you were doing uh, 2,000 years ago, and somehow that becomes your word to us today, uh, that you, the living God, would be speaking to us here and now. And we need that, uh, because we believe that you have the life that is truly life. Uh, lead us in that this morning. In your name, amen. So, uh, first we'll start with kind of a big, big zoom out picture of the whole book of Acts. You know, anytime... Anytime you're studying any book of the Bible, uh, remembering the context of what you're looking at, the big picture is always critical. I think one of the dangers of reading scripture uh, today, when, sometimes, you, sometimes it's easy to approach scripture as kind of a collection of fortune, you know, like a, a fortune cookie sayings, kind of these little, you know, this little verse here, this little verse here, here, verse there, verse. But the, the point, the, the, the scripture is a collection of books, their whole letters, the whole stories, their histories. And, and, and it's important to understand any verse that we're reading, any chunk that we're reading, the context that it's set in. So I want to zoom out. What is the context of the whole book of Acts? And look at that uh, together now. So the book of Acts... You know, as we look through it, what, one of the things that might be easy to take it as, to, as you read through the book of Acts, it might be easy to understand it as, um, as a, uh, a history of the early church, kind of a comprehensive history of the early church. I want to say it is not a comprehensive history of the early church. That is not what Acts is. There's all sorts of parts, there's all sorts of things that were going on in the early church that, that Acts and the author of Acts, Luke, never tell us about. We know that there was, um, there, there's Christian activity in places like Crete and uh, Cappadocia and Bithynia and Illyricum. And we hear nothing about that in the book of Acts. I mean, right? Luke, what about Illyricum? I know you're all thinking that. What was going on there? But no, the, the point is, though, that there was things going on that Luke didn't tell us about in the book of Acts because Luke's point of the book of Acts was something more specific. The, the goal, the purpose of Acts is to answer this question. How... Did this rural, Jewish, Galilean, Messianic movement, it start, it's this Jewish movement, it's in the rural countryside of, 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 of Galilee, how did that go 
root itself in the capital city of Jerusalem, spread out into the Greco-Roman world, and make its way all the way to the center of the empire, Rome, in just a few decades. Luke is answering the question, how did this rural messianic Jesus movement spread to the center of the Gentile, mo- Gentile world in just a few decades? How did that happen? That's the question. That's what Luke's talking about. And how, how was it that Jesus was actually behind the whole thing? How was Jesus guiding this spread from this rural messianic movement to the center of the Roman Empire? That's the question that the book of Acts is addressing. And so everything is building into that. And so Luke, when he tells a story, he kind of, he builds it on six kind of panels or six chunks or six episodes. Great stories have six episodes. And, but the first three were done well here. And, um, and so, uh, these, these six episodes that move from, it kind of answers this question. How, how did the Jesus move, move this way? And so episode, uh, episode one was, uh, how, Episode one is how the Jesus movement gets uh, rooted in Jerusalem. And episode one goes 1 1 through 6 7, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 7 of Acts. Episode two is, uh, is how did the Jesus movement move from Jerusalem to the surrounding countryside, Judea and Samaria? And that's 6 8 through 9 31. Judea and Samaria. And that's the one that we've been talking about. We've been in this episode the last couple of weeks. Episode three is the one we're turning to today. It's a critical pivot, a turning point in the whole book of Acts. Episode three is 932 through 1224. And that is how the, the story of Jesus breaks out into the Gentile world. That is the non-Jewish world. Because up until this point, it had been this it mainly a single ethnicity movement. Here it moves out into the non-Jewish, the Gentile world. Episode four is uh, where it moves into the Gentile world in a region called Asia Minor, episode 5, and that's 1225 through 1605 for you who are taking notes. Episode 5 is 166 through 1920. It moves into Europe, changes the course of world history, and then 1921 through 2830 is how um, the Jedi come back, the sixth episode. No, it's um, how the gospel goes to Rome. And... uh, and Jesus, actually, he kind of lays this out at the beginning of the book of Acts. He, he basically gives us the outline. Jesus, um, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, he's talking, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus says this. Yeah, I think we have this. There we go. Jesus says, do not, uh, no, excuse, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which in Acts is represented by Rome, the center of the pagan world. And Jesus says this, he doesn't say, I want you to do this. He, said, he doesn't say you should do it. He says, you will. By my spirit, by my presence, I'm going to do this through you. My heart is for the world. My heart is for the world. And I'm going to do, I'm going to reach out to the world through you. And Jesus gives us the outline, and then Luke builds on this. And so today, what I want to focus on, we're, at this, we're, at the, we're going to be looking, we're going to be in episode three, a part of episode three today, this major turning point where the, the message of Jesus, the Jesus movement, moves from the single ethnicity Jewish movement and begins to break out into the Gentile, the non-Jewish world. Critical turning point in the whole story. And we're going to be looking at one specific chunk of it today and then another chunk 
um, next week. And so let's, uh, let's look there together. We're going to be in Acts 11, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Acts is it's way to the right in your Bible. It is after John and before Romans. But it should be after Luke, don't you think? Because Luke and Acts, they're, they're sequel. They're written to they're the same person, but I don't know why they... Nobody asked me when they put the Bible together. Um, so, uh, Acts eleven nineteen. So, n- this goes this way. Uh, it says, Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, non Jews, Gentiles, began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned. To the Lord. All right, let's pause there for a moment. So it's gonna. So it starts out in verse nineteen. It says, "Okay, remember, remember when Stephen was martyred, and there was this kind of violent attack on Christians in Jerusalem. And what what happened is people fled. They kind of spread throughout the whole world. But but what they that that persecution was meant to stamp Jesus' movement out. But instead, it was like throwing water in a grease fire. It just spread it everywhere. And these people went throughout the world. And they went. And I think we have a map of uh, some of the places. Yeah, here they." Oh, that's disappointing. That looks weird. <laughs> oh, we should have tested that better. Okay, well, um, pretend that's not there. And so, <laughs> uh, so uh, Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem is in Israel, and uh, that's where the persecution broke out. And what happened is people traveled north. They traveled north to Phoenicia, which is north of Israel, and then they traveled up to Cyprus, it says, which is an island off the coast of Phoenicia, and then they traveled up to Antioch, which is kind of in the, it's kind of in the, the top corner of the Mediterranean Sea up here. Today it's in southeast, southeastern Turkey. Uh, so they're, travel, they're heading north from Jerusalem, fleeing this persecution uh, to escape uh, what's going on there and spreading the word about Jesus as they go. And they, and they end up in this city of Antioch, and that's where they started telling Greeks, non-Jews, Gentiles about the story of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you a little about Antioch because Antioch is an interesting, interesting city. We have a picture of modern-day Antioch. So Antioch, uh, it was the third largest city in the Roman world. The third largest city. This is a big, big city. Half a million people live there. Scholars believe that the population density is three of Antioch, three times of what New York City is today. It was a dense, crowded city, cosmopolitan city. It was Antioch was founded around the year 300 BC, so 300 years before Jesus was born, and uh, by uh, by one of uh, Alexander the Great's 
uh, generals named Seleucus. Seleucus. It was after Alexander died. Seleucus had a chunk of Alexander's former empire, and he founded the city Antioch, named after his dad, Antiochus. Seleucus actually, he named 16 cities after his dad. There are 16 different Antiochs. That is really confusing. There's, actually, there's two of them in the book of Acts. So if you're ever confused, why are there? there? Well, it's Seleucus giving Father's Day presents to his dad. I mean, dad, 16 cities. What do you give your dad for Father's Day? Um, so, uh, so he names it Antioch, this uh, third largest city in the world, cosmopolitan city. It's this meeting point of east and west. So, you know, here it is on the, the, the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. If you want to go from Europe to Africa by land, you have to go through Antioch. If you want to go to Asia to Europe by land, you have to go through Antioch. If you want to go from Asia to the Mediterranean Sea, you have to go through Antioch. That's a, this is an ancient reconstruction of what it would have looked like. It was on the Orontes River um, that connected with the Mediterranean Sea. And so it was this meeting point of east and west, this cosmopolitan city. They found Chinese porcelain there in excavations. They, there were, there were, they, think up, uh, they know for sure there was at least 17 different gods, temples to gods, in the city of Antioch. Roman gods, Greek gods, Egyptian gods, Mesopotamian gods. I mean, it was this, this wild, mixing, melting pot of a city, one of the largest cities in the world, this trading city where people are coming from all over the place. And, and, and as you can imagine, in a city like that, it was known for its wealth. Antioch minted coins, and this is what they said about themselves. Um, the coins that Antioch made referred to Antioch as metropolis, sacred and inviolable, autonomous, sovereign, and capital of the East. They had a high view. Antiochians had a high view of themselves. It was a wealthy city. Um, and as you can imagine, a city like this was known. There, there was good of it. I mean, it was known for its art and literature, but it was also infamous for its immorality. There was a juvenile, a Roman historian talked about, so the, this river, the Orontes, juvenile talked about the sludge from the Orontes coming and polluting Rome. There, there, there's this, Antioch had this, this immoral reputation. So you've got this large cosmopolitan, all sorts of wild, mixing, melting pot of a city. And what an unexpected, awkward place for this rural Jewish messianic movement to end up. I mean, you wouldn't think, okay, where does the rural Galilean, you know, following a Jewish carpenter, where is that movement going to end up in a few decades? You're not going to think, well, Antioch. I mean, Antioch is this awkward place. I, would, I just wonder about how those, those Jesus followers, did they feel out of place there? Have you ever felt yourself just in an out-of-place situation, an awkward place? I just don't fit in here, right? Have you ever felt that? I, I hope. A couple years ago, uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child, and uh, we uh, were living in Vancouver at the time. And we signed up for a birthing class, and uh, a very Vancouverish birthing class. And so we go to this birthing class, and there's a lot of uh, talking about energies and essences, and it was clearly established I was out of touch with my inner goddess. And so we're. <laughs> We're, we're doing this stuff, and we're doing it like the end of the first day. It's kind of this all-day Saturday session. The end of the first day, we're doing this uh, get-to-know-you. And pulling, they're passing a toque around and pulling questions out of it and then answering, answering the question. And uh, so um, I, I, get, I get it, and I pull the question out, and I'm, you know, I'm supposed to just answer this in front of all these people that I've just met that day. And the question is, why did your child choose you? 
to be its parent. <laughs> uh, I think I see the world differently than this. <laughs> have you ever, I mean, have you ever just felt like, I don't know if I totally fit in here. <laughs> the, the, the Jesus movement, this, this Jesus movement saying this crucified Jewish rabbi is king of the world. It ends up in Antioch of all places. And, these, and, it, it's this, and it ends up being a turning point in the Jesus movement. It's this incredible story. I mean, Cyrene, you know, it said, it said um, some of the Jesus followers from Cyrene ended up in Antioch. Cyrene is in North Africa, Libya today, kind of not too far from Benghazi. So these African Jews immigrated to Jerusalem, had to flee persecution, ended up as refugees in Antioch. These African Jews are refugees in Antioch and start talking to Greeks about this this Jewish rabbi, and they start following Jesus. And it's kind of like, oh, of course that would happen in Antioch. Where else would something like that happen? It's an incredible, incredible story. So um, this is what happens next. I want to read to you what happens next. Acts 11, verse 22. So news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They were like, Antioch? We better check this out. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So the, the, the kind of mission control up in Jerusalem, where the apostles were, they, they had enough kind of um, clout there that they didn't have to flee the persecution. They hear about what's going on in Antioch, and they think, Antioch? We better look into this. The Greeks are coming to Jesus? We better look into this. So they send Barnabas, real diplomat, they send him to Antioch up north, and he checks things out, and he gets there, and he realizes these people are sincerely following Jesus. They, are sin- they sincerely love Jesus, and he celebrates it. He's excited. And then, but then Barnabas thinks to himself, what, how, what are we going to do? Okay, these, I mean, because up to this point, the Jesus movement has been mostly coming, it's been mostly in the Jewish world where people kind of came from a common background, common worldview, common understanding of morality. And now it's breaking into the Gentile Greek world where they're coming from a background, a worldview of all sorts of different things. And Barnabas realizes we have to do some teaching, we have to do some training, we have to do some equipping for these people. Who, Barnabas thinks, who would come to Antioch, this wild melting pot of a city, and teach these Greeks who they have all sorts of different backgrounds, who's going to teach them how to follow Jesus for their whole lives? Barnabas says, I've got somebody who's wild enough to try that. Saul, he would do that. See, Saul, remember we've talked about Saul the last couple weeks? Saul, if you remember, he was this radical Jewish Torah scholar who was so, he was so fervent about protecting the Jewish, the Jewish Torah and kind of the way he understood that is that he thought he went and tried to arrest Jesus' followers. Saul was persecuting Jesus' followers. One day, Saul's on the road to Damascus and meets Jesus in person, the resurrected Jesus. Saul's life turns around 180 degrees, and he goes from arresting Jesus' followers to risking his life for Jesus. Saul, Barnabas thinks, would be perfect. He's just crazy enough to do this job. So Barnabas 
From Antioch, he makes the 100-mile walk up to Tarsus, find, tracks Saul down there, and that's what we're going to pick up next. So let's read um, that. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And the verb there, it says to look for Saul. It's like to search diligently, to, to really have to look hard for. And the implication, the implication is that Saul, Saul's been up in Tarsus for about 10 years now. Saul most likely had been disowned by his former friends and family for following Jesus. That's why it was so hard to find for Barnabas. So Barnabas has to go search all over the city, finally finds Saul. When he found him, verse 26, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, met with the church, not met at the church, met with the church, because the church is people, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So uh, Barnabas, he makes the 100-mile trek up to, up to um, Tarsus. Saul's address was Tarsus. Barnabas had no idea. So he goes, searches around, finds him, says, Saul, I think you'd be perfect for this. Barnabas, I love it because Barnabas doesn't think, i got to do this myself. Barnabas connects, who could do a good job of that? I don't have to do this. Who would be great at this? Saul, finds Saul, brings him there, and then for a whole year, they do nothing but, what do they do? Sell t-shirts? Raise funds to build a building? What do they do? They teach for a whole year. They train these new followers of Jesus. And what is this? If you were here earlier this spring, we did a whole bunch of teaching on Acts 2, 42-47. We talked about all the things the early church was devoted to. What does this remind you of from that? They were devoted to what? Apostles' teaching. Yeah, when, 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 when Jesus' spirit gets a hold of a people, he sets up a school. He starts teaching people how to walk with him for their whole life. Same thing here. Saul and Barnabas, they start teaching, training for a whole year. And it changes them. It changes the people there. Look what happens next. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So Claudius... He, reigned, he was emperor from like 41 to 54 AD, and so this was actually happening. We know that this famine was sometime around 45, 46, and Agabus says, hey, this famine's right around the corner. Now imagine you're those disciples in Antioch, and imagine somebody came to you and said, I know there's going to be an economic crisis next year. Next year, food prices are going to shoot up. There's not going to be enough to go around. It's going to be economically difficult. I guarantee it next year. What would your first reaction be with your money and resources? I love it. These, these Greek, these, these Gentile followers of Jesus that have been being trained in the way of Jesus, they hear about this economic crisis coming. And what do they do? They say, oh, hey, 
you know, I've, it's been a good last couple months for me. I've got some extra set aside. And I know the brothers and sisters in Judea, they're just not doing as well as us. Can, we, can, we, can you take it up there for Somebody else says, I've been saving this up. And I don't even know what I'm saving it for, but I've got this extra. But could you take it up? I know the brothers and sisters in Judea, they're going to have a really hard time when this hits. Can you send it up there? To them. The, their first reaction is to take care of their brothers and sisters in Judea, brothers and sisters in Jesus, because they know they don't have as much. This generous spirit takes a hold of Antioch. And once again, remember Acts 2, 42 through 47, we were talking about the things they were devoted to. One of the things back in the spring before Easter, we said, what was the early church devoted to? Do you remember? Anybody? generosity, taking care of one another. And we see when the spirit of Jesus gets a hold of people, the same thing happens in Antioch. They start taking care of people. Antioch, this church in Antioch, it ends up being a pivotal Jesus community throughout the rest of the book of Acts. As we go on through the book of Acts this summer, I hope you keep your eyes and ears open for Antioch. And once again, there's two Antiochs, so a little confusing. But this Antioch, keep your eyes and ears open, because this Antioch, they end up being the church that sends Saul, soon to be known as Paul, out on his missionary journeys. Paul, who spreads the, Jesus, the, the story of Jesus all over the Greco-Roman world. In chapter 13, the church in Antioch is praying, and they say, they say, hey, the Spirit of Jesus is telling us to, you know, Saul and Barnabas, you are so gifted. You've done so much for us. We feel like we're not meant to keep you for ourselves. We need to send you out to the rest of the world. And Paul, Saul, later known as Paul, ends up going out on these missionary journeys. All three of his missionary journeys in the book of Acts, he comes back to Antioch because it's this home base, his missionary center, his, his, it's mission control for Paul. It's supporting him and sending him. And it's Paul who ends up spreading the news about Jesus all over the Greco-Roman world, ends up writing so much of our New Testament. And it's because of the church of Antioch, their vision to send him out. This place, this unexpected place, ends up helping Jesus change the world. It's incredible. So, I want to pause and ask you, what in your mind, Antioch, what words describe the church in Antioch? This church that we've been talking about, this, this Christian community, just shout them out. What words describe uh, this church? Hub. Say that again? Hub. Hub. Generous. Generous. Kindness. Willing. Willing. Enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. you say missionary or visionary? Visionary. Learners. Spirit-led. Diverse. One more. Releasers.
I think I spelled almost everything right. <laughs> One, uh, I don't, first, that is true. I think all those things are, exa- I think those describe that Earl, that Jesus movement in Antioch very well. One of the things, uh, as, a, as a church in Bellingham in the 21st century, one of the things, one of the questions we have to ask over and over again, one of the questions we have to ask over and over again is what, who do we believe God is calling us to be? What kind of, what kind of church is God calling us to be? What, what vision do we have for ourselves? Who do we dream we could be? Every, every Christian community has to continually ask that question, continually to renew their vision for the future. Who are we becoming? Who, what is God leading us into next? Becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. That, yes! What, 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 I've found, what I've found as I've been looking at the church in Antioch, what I've, I've been finding in my heart is a... Uh, a model, an image, a blueprint, a pattern of the kind of church Hillcrest can continue to become. I see this here, and I see the potential to be even more this way at Hillcrest. But when we say, what, what, kind of, what, what is a vision for the future? Where can we look? I believe we could look to the, what Jesus did in the church of Antioch. Because I believe that's what he's about, and he is still wanting to do that today. When I think about where we're going, what kind of church, I see a church, I see a church that um, where, where unexpected people hear about Jesus and start following him. I see a church that is, I mean, right now we are debt-free as as a community, I see a church that, can, that says, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to be extremely generous. We're going to use this advantageous economic situation that we're in to help our brothers and sisters that don't have enough. I see a church that has potential to say, hey, we are gonna, we, when we find gifted people, we're going to release them. We're going to train them. We're going to send them. We're going to be visionary. We're going to have a vision bigger than just here, just ourselves. We're going to have a vision for the world. We don't want to just make as much impact right here as possible. We, over the, next, over the next five decades, ten decades, we want to have the most impact on this world as we can as a community. I see a place that, we, that strategically looks as Saul, as Barnabas looked for leaders. Barnabas didn't just say, I'm going to do this myself. He said, who has the potential to step into this role? And Barnabas had the vision to say, Saul, you have the potential to do this. And to invite Saul into an even bigger role. And then to release them. And then the, the leaders of the church of Antioch saying, hey, we think you could have even more impact if you go out and, go out and do this thing. A church that had a vision bigger than themselves. I see that kind of... I, we, I believe that DNA is already here. We're already doing that. And I believe we can grow even more into that kind of place. When I look at Antioch, I see a, I see a vision. I see a calling of more and more who we can become. Willing, enthusiastic, available, spirit-led, learners. Learners, a church that doesn't just say, hey, we want a church that, I mean, the whole idea of training is a church that has a a long-term, a deep church that says we want to train people for a lifetime of following Jesus. Over and over again, I see a pattern there of what Jesus did there that we can look to for our life together. 
and these things, it's not, it's not ultimately, what they come down to is these express Jesus' heart for people. That's what they express. Jesus' heart isn't just to be, Jesus' heart isn't just to spread over all of the world just for the sake of it. Jesus does that. Jesus called Barnabas and Saul to go out. He did that because he sincerely loved the people in those towns that they were going to go to. Jesus sent those, those anonymous Jewish followers of Jesus from Cyprus and Cyrene, sent them to Antioch in the first place because Jesus' heart was for the Greeks, the Gentiles living there. He cared about them. Jesus put it on their heart, the, Jesus put it on the believers' hearts in Antioch to give resources back to the brothers and sisters in Judea because Jesus sincerely cared about them struggling to feed their families. That's why he put it on their heart. This expresses Jesus' heart for people as he makes it concrete, makes it real in his churches, his communities, back then and there, then here and now. So would you, would you dream with me? Would you dream with me over, over the coming weeks? Just what, yeah, what kind of place is Jesus calling us to be, to continue to become? Would you dream about that? And, and the nice thing, we don't, it's not, we don't do it on our own. But he, does, he does it. I mean, even in Antioch, Jesus does the heavy lifting. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them. God's grace was powerfully at work amongst them. It's us cooperating with him. Every person, find that small part that Jesus invites them into. So thank God for the work that he did back then and there. And thank God for the work that he is doing here and now. Would you pray with me? Jesus, uh, we do. We, uh, we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful for your love of people, your love of the unexpected, your love of awkward places, your love uh, for, for uh, people groups that haven't heard about you yet. Uh, thank you. Thank you that you, by your spirit, uh, empowered your church to reach those places um, 2,000 years ago. And thank you that you, by your spirit, are empowering us here now today. In your name, amen.